Welcome to Seahawks Man to Man Podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. Here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You can follow me at Mike Dugar. There's a blue check right there next to my name as well. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206. And that's C-Kid 206. Uh, Chris, we're going to talk about Jamal Adams, but can I tell a story first? Absolutely. Cool. It ties in um, to Jamal, in a way. Uh, so I go. I'm going, I went on a bachelor party uh, excursion, uh, so re- relatively social distance for what that's worth. Uh, but bachelor party excursion on the weekend, and uh, I'm getting in the car with the groom to go on this just drive. We're at a Crescent Bar. Uh, out for people who are from the state of Washington, you know, up, there, up there by Van Inge and the Gorge and all that little resort town. Um, I have my backpack and my laptop in it. And the groom, he's driving. He's like, Mike, would you, why you bring your laptop? Because uh, we're not supposed to be doing the work. We're supposed to be vacation. Uh, this is on like Thursday. He says, uh, I mean, I said, man, I got bad luck. Every time I'm out of town or out of Dodge, the Seahawks do something. So with my luck, they're going to trade for Jamal Adams or sign Antonio Brown while we're on the boat. I could be rented a boat. Um, we just joke. Cool. We we go off. Uh, Saturday comes. Saturday afternoon. Um, we're having a good time outside the, the camper that we rented to. The boat is about. We're about to go meet the boat that we rented to take us to the beach to just have our Saturday in the sun. Um, right. And so my homie comes out of the camper. I'm sitting there in the picnic table. He says, Mike, you got to go to work. I said, what are you talking about? He said, the Seahawks just traded for Jamal Adams. I was like, I said some profanity that I will not repeat. I was like, you kidding me, right? Um, so I'm like, put my beer down, write my story. Uh, I'm like scrambling. There's barely an internet connection where we're at, right? I'm like, guys, I got to take my computer on the boat. And so, I'm, uh, so everyone else has just got like coolers, beer, and trulies or whatever. And here's Mike with his backpack, you know, and his laptop ready to do work on this boat at like 90 degrees. Um, so we get on the boat. I'm working, I'm working on the story, like, on the boat. Everyone else turning up around me. I'm sitting here in the corner, looking really nerdy. Oh, I'm shirtless, but I'm nerdy. We hit a wave. A gigantic wave splashes the boat that I'm sitting in the front of. Computer, gone. Computer just, it, it dies on me. So now I'm ready. To, I'm very upset with the boat driver. We're about to get into it. I'm very upset with life. I'm like, I call the editor, Steve, Steve. My computer just like just got hit by a wave <laughs> on like the Columbia River. I think that's what it was. Very upset, very sad. Uh, we get to the to the beach where we're going. I think someone brings finds me a screwdriver somehow or a pocket knife. Whatever. We get into the back of my computer. We're like draining the water out of my like keyboard, um, and eventually, after a while, my computer comes back on and life life is good. But that's Chris to say. I have the worst luck. I'm glad the Seahawks have Jamal Adams, but I have the worst luck. Because I talked to you before my computer came on, right? Or was that after? No, you told me, you told me the story afterwards. After, okay. I, was, I texted you about it, and you're like, yeah, I'm already on it. Because I said, I know you're on vacation. Because you actually called me and said, hey, when you want to do the podcast, you might have a special guest. And I was like, well, we can do it Monday or Tuesday. Because mm-hmm. I know you want to. You need a day of rest. Okay, you're on vacation. Right. You just chill, man. And you're like, all right, I'll, I'll do that. 
It worked out. Here we are on a Monday recording this episode. No, yeah, it, it ended up working out. But let yeah. me tell you, for them twenty minutes, my computer because <laughs> I got a bunch of projects I'm working on too, and I don't have so for I don't have a Mac, right? So I don't have like all my stuff backed up into a cloud. Like that's it. It's this hard drive in front of me, and that's all I got. Yeah. So I was very, very, very upset, standing there in my life vest in the middle of this boat, looking at the dude like, "How could you not tell me there's this big wave coming?" I don't know. It was very, very upsetting. All that's to say, that is our intro to the Jamal Adams episode because that is what this is. Um, they traded for him, like I said, on Saturday. You already know the terms of it, but we'll remind you the Seahawks gave up a first-round pick in 2021. They gave a first-round pick in 2022. They gave a third-round pick in 2021, and they gave up strong safety Bradley McDougald in exchange for Jamal Adams and a 2022 fourth-round pick. Now, that's a lot. Um not to keep up. The main thing is the two first round picks because that's yeah. where your your capital really is. So first round picks are some of the most valuable things you could have um, in the NFL in terms of trading. Honestly, I would argue that they are the most valuable because you're not like going to trade a quarterback or something like that. So it's a lot to give up. Like that's the first thing we all uh, focus on. There's like two ways that people kind of receive this. And Chris, I'll see if you received them that way too. The first was that great the Seahawks are good again like oh they have an elite talent like they got the closest thing they're going to get to an Earl Thomas Cam Chancellor hybrid right like this is great got a great talent the other thing is good god did they just mortgage the future for this guy and have to give him 19 to 20 million dollars a year so of those I don't know if you fell into those responses but if you did which one did you fall into on Saturday I would say kind of neither. I mean, it was good. So, A, they did get someone that's going to help the secondary. But where I lie is, okay, that's great. The secondary wasn't terrible last season. It was actually decent. They added a piece that's going to make them great. They went from good to great, if you want to be really tight on it. I think the secondary played pretty damn well. They played pretty well against Green Bay, but Devontae Adams was just too much when it comes down to things, right? And you add someone like Jamal Adams, and that gives flexibility to the Quandre Diggs. Where is he going to play? He he played a lot. We looked up stats and what he was doing pr- previously before Seattle. He did a lot of nickelback, so he's capable of playing that position if the Seahawks are going to flex their muscle and show a little bit more nickel defense instead of that 4-3, which they love to play. But I'm looking at it from a standpoint, okay, your pass rush, though. <laughs> that is still an area that needs improvements today, Monday. It needs areas of work unless you're really confident that Ben Samaoa, Bruce Irving, and the rest of these guys are going to come back much better than they were last year. And as you always say, Mike, well, Chris, they can't get worse, but they can also stay the same. Well, those guys were in particular were good, Benson and Bruce, on their respective partic- teams. Yes, yeah, yeah. they were good, but you're expecting them to come to this team now and revamp that D-line pass rush. And I don't know if those two can do that. And, yeah, they have Jamal Adams. I get it. But as I told you and on this podcast a few weeks ago, you could have the greatest secondary of all time. If you have me and you rushing the quarterback, that secondary is going to get extremely tired. And they can't guard. They can't play zone all day. I mean, you look at what Patrick Mahomes does and his ability to make extend plays. You look at Russell Wilson, how he extends plays. Can you imagine week in and week out quarterbacks extending plays? Not saying that they're going to play a mobile quarterback week in and week out, but just imagine a quarterback not being able to find a receiver, but he has the time to create a play on the fly, and now he's able to find someone deep down the field. 
and that's the area that the Seahawks might be in. I could be wrong. The, the pass rush, as Joe Fan put it on our podcast, is better. They could come out and get 33, 35 sacks this season, right? But then there's also the stance that, oh, my goodness, they could be not good again, and now you have this all-pro safety, and the Seahawks finish 10-6, and 11-5. They get bounced in the divisional game against the you know, Green Bay or the Vikings. I probably won't make it, but you see where I'm coming from? I mean, that is still, I think, the bigger issue is that pass rush. Are they are they set? I mean, do you believe right now that this pass rush is going to get it done? They're going to be competitive? They're going to get out of their quarterback this season with, with what they have on the roster? Well, I think um, I've been reading more about this lately over the last like couple years because I was from the school of, you know, your pass defense does start with the rush. Though I think that pass defense, it can be elite and it can originate from either position. It could be up front mm-hmm. or in the secondary. And like I also, think if you have uh uh if you have four this is in theory, okay. right? If you have four all pro DBs. Yep. It will make your pass rush better. You would you're damn right it should. Shoot. And I think and then let's say excuse me, I should I should give the flow example. So you have four all pro DBs and four very bad defensive lineman, I think you will get a pass rush. On the flip side as well, I think if you have four all-pro defensive linemen and four very bad DBs, um, you can still, you can have, I think, a good pass defense. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think they work in concert with each other. I think maybe that was too extreme of example. But I don't think it necessarily has to start one way or the other. I think you can have... You want balance more than anything, though. Not not necessarily balance is not what I'm getting at. I think that, well, yes, it does not necessarily that they have to be equal. I do think that they can influence the other. Like, it's it's like a chicken and egg type of thing. You don't need... uh, you don't necessarily need the the D line to kick things off. If the secondary is locking it down, then that creates more time for your guys who you know who need that extra half a second to get there. Yes, to get there. I think it all works together. That's why the Seahawks defense 2013, 14, whatever was so good. Because not only were Cliff and Mike getting there fast, and Chris Clemens as well early on, they had nowhere to throw as nope, well. Exactly. It was it was it, that was the definition of I think of balance at the time. But I think the Seahawks can improve overall defensively by beefing up. The, the secondary. secondary. Okay. Like, let's, like, if Dunbar has now been placed on the commissioner's exemplist, so we probably won't see him this season. Um, but in theory, at the time, I was thinking, well, if they have Shaq, Dunbar, Quandre, and Jamal, um, that is a really good foursome. So even if, say, they're defending for an extra half second or whatever, you know, it's real fast in the pocket. I think they can sur- Make up for survive. Okay. In a, you know, because then it's like, all right, what happens when you do let that ball go? You know, because if if you have that foursome, they, again, they won't now. But you got guys who get their hands on the ball. Shaq doesn't necessarily take it away, but he doesn't get his hands on it. So you got Quandre, playmaker. Shaq gets his hands on the ball. Uh, Dunbar gets his hands on the ball, and then Jamal who gets, who gets his hands <laughs> who gets his hands on everything. <laughs> right. The ball, your your helmet, your jersey, whatever. So I do think that I've begun to rethink where great pass defense, because that's really the thing that all that matters. Pass rush matters because it affects your pass defense as a, as a whole. Because yeah. you need your pass defense to be good, and you need your pass offense to be good. Like, those are the two things I should focus on. And I've be, I've shifted my focus, I think, in the last couple of years, maybe emphasis is the word, on where that needs to start. I don't think it necessarily matters. If you want to start it from the back end and work forward, that's fine, too. If you want to start it from the front end, like the Niners have kind of done, and then work backwards, I think that's fine, too. Um, I think it can work either way. So, yeah, when I saw that 
they got Jamal. It's like, okay, obviously that, is, that doesn't fix the clowny issue, right? But I do think it can, by by boosting the back end, you are then helping the front end. You yeah, because they don't want to be embarrassed. They want to go out there and compete and want to make the secondary look good as the secondary wants to make the D-line look good. It works yeah, both the, ways. Yeah, it all works to, together. And I think the if you boost one position, like, extremely, right, if you get, you know, if they were to sign, like, Jalen Ramsey and it wasn't, like, Jamal, you know, I think by now because there's a you can't throw anywhere, you're helping, right? So I think by boosting the back end, you can then help the front, and if you boost the front, you can then help the back end. I think do I do think it all works together in that way. And perhaps even then, the Seahawks now with Jamal Adams, they realize, man, we can we can do a lot with this guy. He can blitz, he can play in the box. I mean, he, as you put it, he's a hybrid between Earl and Cam. Yes, I, I mean, would say so. This, and he's. 24 but not to, to say 20. he's better than I oh yeah no just like no in means. terms of a skill set it's yeah. like a it's much more like a little throw in a little Palomalu to the Duke and just line he's up kind of wherever yeah. Derwin James him and Derwin James I would say are similar players yeah and with that that means the Seahawks now instead of blitzing you know 20% of the time maybe they go up to 25 30 with just his acquisition and what he brings to the team because they know that this guy can get after it. he blows up running backs he's not afraid of a challenge, whether it be a tight end, a fullback, a running back trying to protect the quarterback. I mean, this guy is a flying missile, and he's he loves making plays. We saw that with the Jets. They just didn't happen to have a good offense to keep them in game, so he was out there a lot. Yeah, the quarterback was seeing ghosts. <laughs> For yes. Real. He was. And but, poor, poor Luke Falk out there. Love Luke. He was looking terrible when he was there. But now he's with a team where the quarterback is great, if not the best in the NFL, top mm-hmm. three for sure. Top two. I feel you on that one. Let them know, Mike. And now you're playing with a defense that is looking to get back to where things have, where things were. Mm-hmm. Had a few, you know, cut a few players here and there. They want to pay some players. I mean, you look at Frank Clark. They didn't want to pay him. He goes and wins the Super Bowl. And you look at that Chiefs defense. Their cornerbacks were not all pro, all elite. They were good corners, right? But mm-hmm. that pass rush was so good, kind of going to your point. That hey, it all just kind of worked in unison, yeah. yin, yin and yang. And, de- and their pass defense was good. The Chiefs. Overall, yeah. yeah. Like, that's no matter where it's – because uh, pressure leads to a good pass defense. So, like, sacks obviously are good. Pressure, you know, leads to turnovers and everything like that and rushed throws and fumbles or, you know, whatever. Um, so that that was the – that's, like, in terms of that first on-field impact, how it affects the guys up front, that's kind of where I came with that. And that's kind of how I think about it in general. I understand it. I hope you're right, Mike. Yeah. I, I, would, I would hate for them to have that elite talent back there. And then they're like, damn, man. <laughs> Seahawks in six weeks only have two sacks. <laughs> I mean, that would be just terrible. Uh, but if they're yeah. winning games, hopefully they pick it up. Because we saw what happened last season. Oh, you know, players suspended, players hurt. Mm. We're waiting for them to get back. Okay, it's week nine now. What's what's going on? Oh, continuity. we got to get used to each other. We're all back and healthy. Oh, okay, well, it's week 14. What's, what's going on? Oh, Clowney's pretty much banged up. He's not going to be healthy. He's fighting through it. Okay, we have a new year. No Clowney. You bring in two new guys that formerly played for the Seahawks. They had better seasons last year than anyone on the Seahawks outside of Clowney. What are we going to expect from this pass rush? Yeah, I just yeah. In general, I'm just I, I'm of the belief that if if a player or multiple players are good enough, they can elevate the other aspects of the defense. You know, if Shaq plays at a Pro Bowl level, Jamal does what he does, and Quandre, who I think has been a Pro Bowl alternate before, um, they can make. A regime or whoever better because they give them time, uh, right? Because if you guys stink, it doesn't matter. You're like I said, your line, your uh, it only it, it all works together. That's basically kind of where I, where I came from. But the other piece of it is the compensation, right? Like every deal should be judged by 
the compensation. They gave up a lot to get Jamal. Say it again, Mike. What they give up? Uh, two first round picks, Bradley, and a third round pick. And Man. I do think I'm not of the of the belief that um, the 2021 picks are like like uh, super useless because there may not be a college football season. I don't want to go that far yet because that opens a can of worms. Like, all right, if it's not a college football, is there is it? Why would there be an NFL? We got a lot of things going on. But in general, let's just assume normalcy here for the sake of the discussion. I'm okay with pressing the button on whatever the hell it takes and, you know, not and worrying about it later. Because think if you're John Snyder, right, and you come to the table and you, you're going back and forth, you're texting Joe Douglas, GM of the Jets, and you're like, hey, man, I need that. I, I know we said two first. I know you're willing to give Bradley, you know, and I will give you the fourth back, but, you know, I, I need you to throw in the third. Yeah, I need a third this year. If the, let's say that's the the straw for you, it's like, man, come on, man, are you gonna walk away from Jamal because of a third round pick? I like probably not. Probably, you know, what I'm saying if you put it that you'd feel silly if that was the case. But you've even, come this far. Let's say it's the 2022 second that's really throwing John Snyder for a loop. He's like, come on, man, let me hold on to my 2022 second. I need that, tw- or excuse me, a 2022 first rounder. Come on, I need that. I need that. Joe won't budge, right? And it's like, and Joe's playing you too. Joe's like, man, look. The Ravens are on the other line, so you better get it together. Or the Chief just called me. You better get it together, you know, because that's how these work. You oh, know? Yeah. That's how the price, you know, price going up. Do you want to be the guy, knowing that Quentin Dunbar is probably going to go on the example list, but John Snyder probably knew. Do you want to be the guy that walked away from it because of that extra first-round pick? You got to pull the plug, man. You got to make it happen. Yeah, and see, that's what John did. I, I, I try to picture myself in John's shoes there, and then I can understand, like, you know what? Screw it. Press the button. <laughs> we got Russ now. We got Bobby now. Um, we got Dwayne Brown now. You know, KJ now. Shaq, while he's still cheap. Quandre still cheap. Like, DK still cheap. Tyler not killing us. Chris Carson still cheap. Like, this is it. You've named a lot of great players. Who are on cheap deals, deals. too. Or, in a, like, in still prime-ish, right? Like, that's the other part of this, too. Obviously, it goes without saying that you have to maximize Russ's prime. Obviously. I get that. He's not the only one whose, like, window matters here. Because in theory, Russ is, what, 31? Yeah, Russ is 31, I believe. Russ might be good for another, like, eight years. Like, he, his prime could be extended because he's a quarterback. So, But it goes beyond him, though. I think it's like, okay, how many elite years were we, we going to get a Bobby? Right, okay, like yeah. how many how many years in total we get left out of KJ? How many years of uh, Dwayne Dwayne, who's what gonna be thirty six with a thirteen million dollar cap hit in twenty twenty one? Like your your time is now. Every year that you have Russ in his prime, your the clock ticks. But it's those other pieces that matter as well. You know, I know Bobby's been a mainstay for so long uh, on the defense, but eventually that runs out, right? He'll be he'll play at a high level, I think, for a while. But like all pro level is 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 a little bit different too. So I mean, even like Dwayne, your left tackle situation, we know Seahawks have are terrible evaluating O line. So then what? You know. So I think that it, there was a bunch of things that really said, "Hey, John, you gotta press this button now." And I think the the strength of the division it's not mattered as well. It's getting better. You saw what the Cardinals just did. Right. You're seeing how the Niners are trying to improve. I mean, a guy broke his foot and saying he'll be back by week one. I mean, these teams are coming. Even though the Rams are kind of in a rebuild situation, they're still a formidable team, and they always, for whatever reason, right, somehow just they they they, they jack the Seahawks up. They smoked the Seahawks. <laughs> like who cares what they're doing? They smoked them. The Cardinals, yeah. even if they're like on the rise, they smoked the Seahawks right I mean, at home. So like John can't. He's no dummy. 
right? Like he can he, if he's honest with himself and looked at this roster, and then looked at the division. Oh yeah. If he thought we're gonna win a championship, he's he's on drugs. Yeah. Stephen A. Smith said, "Lay off the weed." Like, come on. I know it's legal in Washington, but still, John, lay come off, on, man. Lay Stay off, lay off the weed. Yeah, lay lay off if that's how you feel, right? So yeah. I think he couldn't do that, and I think you have to consider everyone else's window. I've, I think I might have said this on the show before. Teams really only be looking like a, a two years in advance at max. Look two years in advance and worry about the rest as you go, because you can acquire picks and you can acquire money and you can make some moves and and, and things like that. Like you can, you're going to draft more people. There's plenty of ways to acquire talent three years from now or whatever. Look at yourself in like little two-year increments and look at what look at what your salary is. Look at what the prime of your best players are. Look at the growth you have. Like young guys like a Rasheem or you know whoever, and then go from there. So that's why I I can see why John pushed the button. Yeah, I get that. I get why you push the button. Worry about it later. I can also see why some people didn't want them to give up that much. Yeah, but the other thing is, okay, what's the alternative? You're gonna draft two, two first rounders and the, expect. <laughs> well, it's not even the draft picks because I- ignoring the draft pick part of it that the Seahawks draft like they don't draft well. First rounders can also be used to flip into more picks. That's I think where I was heading with DK it. was ultimately I think selected with a pick that they got from trading back after trading Frank like there's some ways to manipulate like Chris Carson I think was acquired with a pick from trading back in 2017 like there's there's ways to justify it right I I, I get that so even if we ignore that you know that part of it the alternative again is like I was saying you're walking away from Jamal to do what to just have this team maybe call the Jags over Yannick but I think Jamal's a better player uh Chris Jones off the table Sure, you can maybe still sign A B or something, but like this what is the alternative to giving up this much, I don't think um is being talked about enough. It was probably just like rolling out B Mac, Quandre, Trey Flowers, Shaq, and going. Yeah, it's still good, but it's not great. And with Jamal, it is now great. There's potential to be great. I think there is the it's very hard to argue, even if you assume that Quentin is not on the team, that the Seahawks aren't one of the best teams in the NFC. I really th- like who's the best team? Probably, I don't know. The Niners, that, I was New Orleans, say. Green Bay. Can you confidently say that those teams are better? I can confidently say that if I had to, I would say the Niners mm-hmm. would be my number one. Number two, I would probably roll with. Uh, I would probably roll with the Saints. Fair. I don't know about. I, I'll put the Seahawks three. Based on what I'm seeing and what the moves they've made, they'd be number three right now in the NFC entirely. How would you rate? That's rate prob- I think New Orleans has the best roster. I think I've said that on this show before. I think they're, they're, the talent on their roster is really, really – I think Drew's still a top-five QB. Michael Thomas is a top – you know, like Marshawn Lattimore, Alvin Kamara, um, even even like up front on both sides of the ball. In the yep. trenches, they're good. Like I think the, the, the New Orleans Saints are really, really solid across the board. Um, and then I think probably say the Niners as well. Although I really contend that the Niners, um, they probably have two of the best twenty players in the league. Probably with the, with the Bosa brother and Kittle. I think their their uh, their real strength is their coach. Yeah, I think he's he's such a good schemer, and you know they got young pieces like Debo and obviously like Sherm and the run game and all that. But I really think it's their coach that makes them. So excellent. And he ain't going nowhere. Right. Hmm. And it's the same thing with the Rams. Like I think their coach is what is the real engine there. I know Aaron Donald's the best player in football, at least to me. Um and they got other good pieces as well. Jalen's a great player as well. They actually actually shoot, they may have two of the top twenty as well. And their receivers are still nasty, but for me it's the coach. And the coach is not going anywhere. 
Uh, so now I think with Jamal, I can confidently say, like, yo, Seahawks have a championship caliber roster. But I think people misinterpret when I say that. That doesn't mean you have the best team. It's like in the NBA. It's like how many teams that can win the title every There's year? There's five like teams. Four, maybe four, four or five. five every year that you're like, all right, you got a championship roster. Only one team will win, but that doesn't mean that the other teams don't have championship rosters. I think the Seahawks can legitimately make that case right now. Like if they played New Orleans in the NFC title game in Seattle, Seattle the Seahawks would be probably like favored by a point and a half, you know, or something like that. Or if they played them in New Orleans, they'd probably be dogs by three points or whatever. You know what I mean? It's not that... Same thing with the Niners, too, if they played them in the title game. So, guess what, everybody? Sports are back. Yes, sports are back, and we want you to save 40% off. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Please subscribe now and save. Sign up now to see yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com backslash Seattle-Seahawks, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. Go to theathletic.com backslash Seattle-Seahawks for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you guys there. I think I understand like that part of it, and that's kind of where I come from. I understand it's an overpay, but it's like the right overpay if you are going to make such a move. Because you know I'm big on the all-pro guys over the pro bowl guys. All-pro is elite. Elite, elite, elite. Pro Bowl means you got hot once, uh, for the most part. So I, I can call myself a fan of the move while acknowledging it doesn't leave room for if it doesn't go well to build again, you know, because not having first-round picks sucks. But, man, like I said, worry about that later. Try to win right now. And that kind of answers the question that someone hit me. They, they tagged you in it, and they CC'd me saying, make sure you bring this up specifically, and I think you just touched on it. He was – you're talking about – poor teams and their franchises and, and you listed those teams out and they trade a bunch of capital player capital four players and you're trading away the future and I think you just kind of touched on it. it's like well we're talking about the now don't look three four years look you know maximum two years and we just you know we haven't brought up all the guys but I think for the most part you bring up Dwayne Brown who is probably going to be on his last last leg here with the Seahawks I mean I mean how much more do you think he's going to pass protect for Russ on that left side at an elite level because guys is, can still play key. but Got, de- declines have level. to happen at some point point. and when you decline is that worth to keep on the Seahawks we're trying to go here and you're not here anymore you're you've, you've dropped a level because of age and whatever the case may be and your you salary just, doesn't drop that's another thing salary doesn't drop and then you have Bobby Wagner which you mentioned well how long is he going to play at an all pro level be the best linebacker in the NFL or at least one of the best like three or four which I still think can be a couple years, but that's the type of stuff you have to consider. But, yeah, I think you pretty much answered that question. And, and hey, man, you can't, you don't want to look too far in the future, but two years is probably the max. I would say if you really want to try I would say maybe three, depending on your roster. I mean, you look at the Seahawks roster now. There are a few guys that are old. You look at K.J. Wright. I mean, they just this is his last, last year on his deal. Uh, K.J., yes. This is it. He's on an expiring deal, yeah. And personally, I think this might be it for K.J., but I don't know if the Seahawks – have a great season, and let's say they don't win the Super Bowl. Does KJ say, damn, we were so close. I'm going to come back. And then you look at the roster, who they have at linebacker. You got Cody Barton. You got Shaquem, even though he's now rushing the passer because he has gotten better, and they said, you know what, we can use you in other ways. I mean, there's just a lot of elements that go into play here, and the future of the Seahawks, I see why they made that move in trading for 
an all-pro safety at 24 who's going to be 25 in October. I mean, these are the moves you got to go. You just got to make it, make it happen. Yeah, when teams do these, I think also who, what you're gambling on, um, is really important. Like with the Bears, I know people actually laughed at the Raiders when they did that. They always did feel like that was weird because I wasn't necessarily on Mitch, um, and they were gambling on Mitch being really good when they made that trade for Mac. They gave up a lot for Mac. I think it's probably as much as the Seahawks gave up, if not. A little bit more, a little bit less, but it's in that it's in that same area. And they were kind of betting on Mitch, um, you know. Being a lot better than he is. Just being good enough to get us there. You yeah. know, like if we maximize the rest, you, you just don't mess it up. And he wasn't. He wasn't. He's very bad. Um, very, very, very bad. Um, and in the same way, you know, I think, you know, I can understand why Houston made all that move for, uh, for Laramie Tunsil. You know, I could get it. Like we got D-Hop, we got um, Deshaun Watson. We're ready now. They just made, what, the divisional round before they lost it? They were up 24 nothing on the team that won the Super Bowl? 21 nothing, whatever that was? Like, I, I I get it. I get these moves. They are overpays, quote-unquote, but I can understand. The Rams, they were betting on Jared Goff, uh, which I think is a terrible bet. But they had just made the Super Bowl when they made that Ramsey deal, which was also a lot of draft capital. So I can understand, I, I understand the thought process there. I can understand things without necessarily wholeheartedly agreeing with them. Like I just need to understand where you're coming from. Well, that's the one thing. You got your process is what matters, just as much as like the end result that you get. Like what process are you taking? I think the Texans were taking, you know, a decent like process. Trade a lot because we got a young QB, best receiver in the league, good offense. We're ready right now. Um, they just do other things that didn't add up. Like trading Clowney doesn't make sense in that regard, and then then trading D Hop doesn't make any freaking sense. So, but that's Houston. So I think. It depends on what you're gambling on. Like, the Seahawks are gambling on Russ. Oh, that's a good bet. Like, got Russ. Let's Russ and Bobby are they're largely gambling on. I think that's a good bet to kind of push your chips in and and see what happens. And the other part is the money, uh, too. You know, you don't want to have to, in all of those cases, I think, yeah, Mac got paid right away. Tunsil got, just got paid. And then Jalen Ramsey is going to get paid. Because you also have to pay the guy, too. That factors in. But I do think the Seahawks are in a good spot where they have cap space in 2020. Or, uh, yeah, um, that future cap space, excuse me. So, like, uh, who's on an expiring deal right now that's up for a new one on the Seahawks? Just Shaq, right? You could pay Chris Carson, but I, I doubt he would reset the market. Even if he has a really great year, I doubt the Seahawks would do that, especially when they have Rashad Penny behind him. Um, so, you're really just looking at Shaq, right? Is that going to be market resetting money? I would doubt it because Byron Jones is making his a lot, and you're looking at a salary cap that probably won't grow from year to year because of COVID. So you got one guy, basically, that you really got to pay. Um, and even then, that's just one guy on a new deal. Let's say Jamal after that, like, already right, paid Shaq. Cool, Jamal hits the table. He's like, hey, man, it's time for this bag we talked about last summer, right? Because Jamal basically is going to delay his salary demands. He ain't going to hold out right away. Cool. He says, John, I need this bag. All right, cool, let's talk about this bag. And they get that worked out. That money, even if he gets paid, you're not even talking about that, like, ballooning on your salary cap until next season. So how many years away is that? Like two? Two. So who knows what the what the situation looks like then. I think by then you probably have to worry about like maybe paying like DK or something like that. I'd have to check. Or if you want to re-up on Tyler and maybe some other cats um, at that point. Rasheem, I think. But the point is that they got the money to do all this without like being screwed. Right? It's not the That's where the Rams, I think, made a big mess. They don't have any money. <laughs> that's it. The Rams, the Rams don't have any money. Like the that's it. They also bet on Gurley's knee, which was a bad bet. You know, talk yeah. about uh, relying on certain things. So 
the Seahawks have that's another like a move that I can get being skeptical. A reason to be skeptical of it is the money aspect of it. Like why would we give up these assets and have to pay a guy, you know? But the thing, the money won't you won't be tied up in the money part of this for, a, in the to the point where you can't improve the roster. I don't think my knowledge of like where the salary cap's gonna go and what Seattle's future on their cap looks like. I don't think this is a move that even if you pay Jamal next seat next uh, next spring or next summer that you're screwed down the line. When the last time Seahawks were really screwed on the cap. Like they've they find ways to you know to fix things, and that's the worry about it later part. Uh, too. I talk a lot about giving the Seahawks the benefit of the doubt when it comes to finding old linemen or, or drafting in the first round. In terms of not being screwed financially, I kind of am willing to give them the benefit of the doubt this time. That is where I do trust John, and really I trust Matt Thomas, hmm. the nerdy money guy who I've never met, who apparently is upset that I did a story about him because uh, he doesn't like press. I never met him, so it doesn't matter how upset you get. <laughs> I, really, somebody told me, he's like, hey man, he doesn't like you did that story. I, was like, I don't even know him. <laughs> never met this man. Never met. Don't, don't know, know what he looks, looks like. like. Although I apparently was on a flight with him. That is hilarious. Um, one of the homies got away off the flight. We're at SeaTac Airport. He's like, Mike, you know, uh, Matt Thomas was he was sitting in the front of the plane. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, man. We just walk right past us. I was, would have known. I have no idea. Did a whole profile on him. Doesn't know uh, what he looks like. So, like, hopefully we did a just a decent job just now, kind of going through. All the things that I think people have complained about with the trade, because I know you've probably seen it too. Like, yeah, timeline was flooded. Yeah, you know, I get it, but it, it's a now move. I mean, you guys want a Super Bowl ring, right? We want to want the opportunity to record a podcast in Super Bowl country, wherever that may be in the next in the future. Tampa, I think. Well, shoot, with COVID, we don't know where it's going to be at yeah, this point. Yeah, going to Florida's not great, <laughs> but I'll go for the Super Bowl. Shoot, yeah, you on your own there, okay, masked but up, gloved up. This is a move you just got to make. As Mike gave it a perfect example of. Hey, I need all these picks. Are you gonna say no this far in, and let some other team scoop them? Can you imagine the storyline that would come out two years later? Oh, the Seahawks had an opportunity to get said player, but they said no. He went and joined the Chiefs, who have recently won three straight. Super yeah, or I the mean, Ravens, or, or something the Ra- like that. You know? even like the Cowboys. Oh yeah, because that was another destination. Cowboys he would have been interested in the mix in. too. The yeah. Cowboys would have gone from the Cowboys and Seahawks are probably like equal in terms of like the talent on their roster. Okay, and now if they'd have added Jamal. Then they're having that convo, and we're over here, you know, <laughs> wondering if the Seahawks are gonna make the playoffs or something like that. I mean, they make the playoffs, but you get the, you get the point. Like, there's there are plenty of reasons to be like legitimately skeptical of like, yo, Seahawks, why would you do this thing? But then I think there are plenty of reasons to understand why they did the thing, and then be like, all right, shut up and be happy they got Jamal Adams, because we're and he's he's just good. He's really, really, really good. We're just say elite. Uh, yes, he's a playmaker, and I've talked about that on this show, too. The Legion of Boom was really great, and they had great players. They were all-time great players. They were playmakers. If I could tweet, like, right now, like, and ask people, hey, man, what's your famous Earl Thomas play? What's your famous Cam Chancellor play? What's your favorite Richard Sherman play? I would, play. Get, I would get tons of different ones, though. Like, yes. they all just don't have that one. They have multiple. They have multiple moments and plays have, that were changed games. You have one in the regular season. Yeah. Fourth and one, I believe, Tom Brady. Seahawks are in New England, fourth and one. Are you talking it's, about Sunday Night Football? Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. Gronk and Cam. I'm like, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. And I love that there was no call because Gronk initiated contact. That is just one play that stands out when you say Cam Chancellor because that was a huge play, and we knew, everyone knew, this is going to be the Super Bowl matchup. Unfortunately, it didn't go the Seahawks' way, but at that time, everyone knew it was going to come down to these two, these two, oh my gosh, these two teams 
when it's all said and done. And it did, but again, it didn't go the Seahawks way, of course. But I mean, that's just one play that comes to mind. I'm sure you have a player. Tons well, of yeah. There's the, the point is that you could ask that about someone like Cam, and there's yeah, the, ti- the time he shut down Gronk, or that time he decapitated Vernon Davis, <laughs> or that time he picked sixth Cam in the Super Cam Bowl, Newton, the yeah. time he jumped over and blocked oh, the field goal, that time he uh no he picked sixth Cam Newton. In not the, in the Super Bowl, was no, it? No, excuse me, not the Super Bowl, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Division. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Division. Or that time he punched the ball out from Megatron. Or that time, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, dude, all these, goes on These are game-changing plays that yep. they have. Jamal is ha, is capable of making those game-changing plays. And he's going to have And if he can do that in the playoffs, that's where I think they lacked last year. They just didn't have it. They could not make the plays necessary. Some of that was a bad matchup with Trey and Devontae Adams. But you're going to get those matchups in the playoffs. Everyone in the playoffs is going to be elite somewhere. And you just don't want to be the weak link. Like, minimizing the weak links that you have on your defense, I think, is important. Obviously, they're probably stuck with old Trey because um, of the Quentin Dunbar thing. Uh, but, Chris, before we uh, get get the homie on the line to talk a little bit more about the Jamal Adams thing, I think this is really interesting that someone mentioned to me. Um, and I shouted him out in one of my in my uh, roster projection, too. Jim Nagy uh, used to work for the Seahawks, now director of the Senior Bowl. The idea of actually yeah, putting digs. Uh, okay. In the slot. Yep. Marquise Blair at free safety. Because everyone loves Marquise Blair. Yeah, we talked I, I like about Marquise that off Blair wax. too. Yes. yes. I like him too. Um, I do want him to get reps. Um, so you get Marquise Blair at free safety. Diggs there. As, nickel. Yeah, is your nickel guy. Yeah, Jamal. Okay. Jamal strong safety. Shaq. Shaq. And then Trey. Okay. I think those, those are your best five defenders in the second. Those are your best five DBs, I guess. And I think the goal of your defense, if you're Ken Norton Jr., is like, how can I get my best five guys on the field as often as possible? Um, a lot of nickel. Maybe, maybe my best <laughs> my best seven, if I'm looking at my front seven. Like, okay. who, how do I get my best seven? Obviously, Bobby KJ. Yep, and then what's after sure. that? Last year, he basically was saying, I think Kendricks is better than Ugo and Jamar Taylor and whoever else I would put there. So he's part of my best seven. Four, three. Whatever. <laughs> That's fine. That's no longer the case now. I don't yeah. think that Jordan Brooks or even like Bruce um, is going to add more than Bruce at least as a strong side linebacker, not as necessarily just like a DN. I don't think that adds more than getting in like the five people I just mentioned. Yes. Okay. How do you think about that? I think that would be an interesting move. I think it's better than having what we saw in the playoffs against Green Bay. Because I, I, that image is still in my head of watching Shaquille looking at Ugo like, maybe I should switch or call a timeout and get because this is not the matchup we need right now. You, know, I mean that that's a vital play there. It's third, I forget, maybe third and seven if I'm not mistaken, and it's go time. If they get the first down, season's over. If they stop them, the Seahawks get the ball back and have a chance to win the game. And in those situations, if what if it was Quandre there? What if it was Quandre on Devonte? Would he have been able to make a play on the ball? Because I knew when I saw Ugo, I was like, this isn't good. I mean, that's Devontae Adams, who has two touchdowns already and has been cooking the Seahawks the whole game. And the fact that the defense went along with it, I mean, just imagine having Quandre there and what difference that would have made. And someone pointed out to you, like, yeah, that would probably be your best bet, having Marquise Blair back there. You got Jamal Adams. You got Shaquille and Trey. And then you just throw Quandre in there. Could yeah. that have been the season saver right there? I don't know. It's a what if. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm not here to play what ifs, but I think going forward, that is something they should test early. Week one, why not? Well, yeah, and I think one more thing um, before we hop off of this. I think it's got the potential to be even more creative, right? Because then I think the next step of that, when I think about the playoff game, is all right, 
Maybe it's not Diggs on Devontae. Maybe it's just Shaq. That, that you're just moving guys around, and that's the to flexibility. The other team's best guy, because with Jamal, you can't have no regular defense with Jamal. I think guys like him. <laughs> I think even Troy Polamalu. Um, I think uh, wow, someone I just blanked. Derwin James. I think too. Some guys just like uh, the Honey Badger as well oh, as who I put in that. this. Okay. Yeah, I just think that there are some dudes just like for me to just say do this one thing is stupid. Do. All these do things. all the things you're good at, yeah, and we'll figure out the rest. We'll work around you. We'll make it even happen. even if that being non-traditional. So yes. I think this could be the year that they do that, Mike. Uh, this could be the year on defense, at least. We know offense ain't gonna change, but defensively they switch things up. Where okay, you know what? We're gonna have Shaq follow this person. We're gonna move Trey over here. We're gonna put Quandre and the slot and have him go up against these faster, quicker receivers, or even bigger, depending on the team you play. Though this could be the season, and I say you start it now instead of waiting until later, because what could happen is, let's say Quandre gets the reps in in weeks one through six, they have him at nickel, and he gets it, he's ready. Come postseason, you go up against Green Bay. It's third and seven. You know they're probably going to go to Devonta Adams. Oh, instead of having Ugo out there, you have Quandre who's pat reps and he's ready for it. He knows. Okay, I'm nine nine percent sure it's coming to Devonte. There's only so many things he can do, right? Sidelines your friend, make a play have a chance to go to win the NFC and now go to the Super Bowl. Things can change that quickly. And this is now the opportunity to do so. I would definitely think that the Seahawks should definitely test things out and not try to be, oh, we're going to stick to what we've done when you have all this talent around in the, in the secondary with, the, with those DBs. Yeah, and I don't want to necessarily make it all about um, just the Green Bay game because that wasn't the Super Bowl. No. I mean, they could have easily gone and got smoked by the Niners even if they do. <laughs> Uh, when, no, I'm serious. Like I got Niners, the Niners are, are very good. <laughs> yeah, but it's even then. I just think they're in better position to just match up against other teams in the league now in this this way with more flexibility. Whether it's the Rams and being able to you know match up against like man, they got Cooper and, and Robert and even the tight ends that they have Higby. as well because Jamal can knock a tight end out of a game. Yes, you know. So the Niners with Kittle. Yes. Um. You know everything that the 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 Cardinals are going to be able with to do now. They got D-Hop Christian it. Kirk who's getting better. Yeah, year, yeah. Year yeah. Out. So I think you got to be able to just be more flexible and just not have so many weak links on your defense. And I think just – I'd like for them to have Dunbar. Um, it's but not looking good. Jamal masks some holes, I think, because I don't think they had that many holes. I think they really were just like a piece away. This is the piece. So I, th- I think uh, – yeah, I'm in favor of the move. I mean, it's a long, a lot of minutes in for me to just say that now. <laughs> but no, I think I think everyone understands. Though. Yeah, yeah. You know, I would just like for the Seahawks. This is my only request before we we get the homie on the line. My only request is that they just not make these types of moves when I'm on a boat. Lesson learned here. I think because of Jamal Adams, I know never write a story on a boat. Moral of the story. Joining us on the podcast now is the homie. Uh, he has an iPhone now. I know that's an inside joke. No one <laughs> listening here will get, but I'm very happy that he has an iPhone. I welcome him to homie Charles McDonald. He covers the Giants and the Jets for the New York Daily News. Charles, what up, baby? How you doing? I'm doing all right. You had to blow up my spot. Uh, I, succumbed to peer, I succumbed to peer pressure and got an iPhone. I was talking to a homie, Robert Klemko. He told me it's time to get a big boy phone and here enough, I uh, I am with a big boy phone, but uh, it feels good to be uh, with the Blue Text Gang, and uh, I'm happy to talk Jamal to the Seahawks because that's obviously the 
big trade uh, that happened this past weekend. I want to I want to get your thoughts on just the compensation piece of it. Like uh, in Seattle, there's like a faction of fans who are like, "Yo, I'm happy about Jamal, but why the hell did we give up an arm and a leg? Like, wh- what did you think of what the Seahawks had to give up to get him?" Uh, I think it's a lot. I, I definitely see why Seahawks fans would be upset. I mean, two first round picks for a non quarterback, like a non pass rusher, is it's a lot to swallow. It's a tough pill to swallow, but. At the same time, Jamal's a great player, and I think Seattle was, I mean, I not even think, like, you can tell by the move and the compensation they gave up. They're obviously looking for someone who can not only be a starter, but be, like, an elite superstar player for them off the jump, and I think that Jamal brings that. Uh, you can ask questions about, is the safety worth uh, two first-round picks? Uh, is it worth to trade for Jamal Adams and then pay him on top of that uh, when we know that the cap is going to be uh, pretty much demolished over the next four years because of uh, the adjustments to CBA involving the coronavirus? I think those are all valid questions, but the talent Jamal has is undeniable. And if Seattle felt like this is a player that they just absolutely had to have on their roster as they move forward and try to win a championship, with uh, you, you know, before Russell Wilson gets too old, then I guess it's hard to blame him too much. It, it, you're just gonna have, to, gonna have to get creative with how you build your roster over the next few years. I know you only covered you. You hopped in the middle of the season covering the uh, the New York teams last year, but w- in what ways were you able to see how the Jets got creative with using Jamal? Because he probably has one of the most like unique skill sets of any defender in the league. Yeah, the Jets were in an interesting situation where Jamal did everything for the Jets because he had to. Like, they didn't have an edge rush. Uh, C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson, both their starting linebackers, uh, got hurt. Or Avery got hurt before the season started. C.J. got hurt, like, week two and basically missed the entire season. Uh, like I said, the edge rush, linebackers gone, the cornerbacks were kind of shaky, and Greg Williams basically was like, all right, Jamal, uh, go figure this out for us. And he did, you know, especially towards the back half of the season. I mean, he was an absolute menace in the front seven. Blitzes, run defense, coverage on tight ends and slot receivers. Like, that's where he shines. That late season stretch where he had, uh, I think he had three sacks versus the now Washington football team and two sacks against the Giants, including a strip sack that he took back for a touchdown on the ball, like, didn't even touch the ground. Like, like you're, like you're not supposed to get, like, hyped in the press co- the press box when you see stuff like that, but, like, he, he ran over Saquon Barkley and grabbed the ball from Daniel Jones, ran back for a touchdown. I do my best not to, like, jump out of my seat. Like, that's the kind of ex- exciting playmaker that he is. Uh, and I, I like, if Seahawks fans like like the Legion of Boom, like this is the same type of player, uh, same type of mentality. You know, he he's loud, he's raucous, he's raw raw. But when it's going well, it's a lot of fun to watch. I want to know. We know he's a phenomenal player on the field, and what is his presence locker room wise with his teammates with the Jets? And I wonder if that's gonna how it's gonna fit with the Seahawks because there's a lot of you know leaders on this team and I think it'd be just an awesome fit if he is that type of player. Is that the type of player the Seahawks are getting leadership wise? Someone that's outspoken and down to just ride for everyone on the team? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can I can tell you just from conversations that I've had that uh, you know Jets there are some Jets players who who get it like man you, you it's hard to turn down two first round picks and another starting caliber safety but at the same time they're like you know Jamal's my guy and it's 
started to see him go, and uh, he was absolutely the leader of that, not only that defense, but really the entire team. I mean, when you think about the Jets, there's, there aren't really that many strong personalities that come out and, you know, grab you by the face with how intense they are. And that's what Jamal was. And I thought Jamal and Greg Williams had a really, you know, energetic dynamic uh, last year. And, like, I, I don't see why he wouldn't immediately become one of Pete Carroll's guys in that team because he is that fierce. He does play well, obviously, and he's going to lead them. And I, I think that what happened with the Jets last year that was impressive was, you know, as Jamal's energy rose, like their energy kind of rose on the field, and they were pretty good defense despite the deficiencies that I said earlier. So, you know, he's someone that you want on your team for sure, uh, and the defense is, is going to rally around him. Like it's very much that feel of like the old Legion of Boom teams where, you know, if they're going to hit you in your mouth and you let you know about it, and, and that's kind of the style of defense that they play. Now, what's the relationship between Le'Veon and Jamal? Because we saw on Twitter there was a few tweets exchanged, and now it's it's about week 14 and what to expect. What was their relationship prior to the trade, and how has this relationship changed now that Jamal is a Seahawk and Le'Veon still with the Jets? Yeah, I don't have all the details on that. Uh, I, I mean, I, I didn't see Le'Veon and Jamal interact too much while I was there, but I, I wouldn't read too much into that. <laughs> uh, I think... <laughs> I, I think you know when when Le'Veon said Jamal lied on Twitter. Maybe he was alluding to the fact that you know the article that he did with my colleague at the Daily News. Maybe he was he didn't agree with some of the things said about Adam Gase in there. But I guess there's there's now black bad blood in there or not bad blood <laughs> based on Le'Veon's final tweet where he said he wished him well. Like it, it's it's really weird and like. I I wouldn't even be surprised if those two like even just like completely forgot about the next few months. Like they are just like two of the biggest personalities you see, and they got a lot of stuff going on. I I don't. I mean, first of all, if we even get to week fourteen, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, like let's 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 uh let's not assume that we even get to week fourteen. But if they get there, I don't think it's going to be like a huge a huge deal of Le'Veon Jamal going against each other. You, know, uh, you guys over in the New York media talked to Joe Douglas, uh, who obviously made the trade. Uh, there, it seems like him and Jamal are on the same page. Jamal seems to think that, hey man, y'all said you're gonna give me the bag. Joe's like, hey, we, ain't, hey man, you gotta get that in writing if you're gonna say I gave you the bag. Um, but you know, what was the the disconnect there? Because like Jamal's coming here, uh, reportedly just gonna play out the 2020 season under this salary. He's not even gonna demand a new a new deal. But in New York, the demand was there. Um, so what was the the real disconnect between Jamal and the New York front office? I I think that you got to a point where Jamal, whether he wanted to be in New York was a real question, but he would never say that publicly, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, 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 I don't remember who exactly reported it, but, you know, like Jamal went to the Cowboys to ask, like around the trade deadline, to you know, he talks to Cowboys players to see if they could prod the Cowboys into making a trade for Jamal. And you know, I'm one of the, I'm one of these people. Are I don't care where someone wants to go. You know, if Jamal is not happy here and he wants to leave, like that, I don't really see that as a big indictment on his character. You only got a, you only got so many years to play football. Like, go maximize, be happy, and play where you want. But there was a little bit of a disconnect on. One, I think there's a disconnect on whether or not the Jets were actually going to give Jamal a contract offer, whether that got mixed up with, uh, you know, 
the late hiring of Joe Douglas last year because if you remember, Mike McCagney got fired after the draft. Like they let him use a top three pick on Quinn Williams, and then they fired him, and then they hired Joe Douglas that summer. So I don't know if there was a disconnect there in the transition in the front office. Uh, it seems like Jamal was not 100% truthful on his desire to stay in New York long term, uh, which is fine. I mean, if he doesn't want to be there and he seems happy in Seattle based on the Instagram videos that we put uh, that he put up the other day, I think it's just you have a little bit of a disconnect on both sides in terms of, uh, you know, wanting to stay in New York and the promise of a long term deal. And I, I honestly don't know if he liked Adam Gase that much and maybe that played into it. But I think you also got to a point where the Jets were saying, you know, if he doesn't want to be here, then let's see what we can get. And it just kind of all fell apart, maybe from a little bit of miscommunication that happened during the season. You know, I from day one, I didn't seem like Adam Gase was much of a likable guy. So if that was – honestly, if Jamal came out and told me, like, hey, man, that was it, I didn't just like Gase. I was like, cool, man. Cool. Welcome, I mean, he's not, he's not the first guy to have <laughs> issues with Gase. Uh, so, <laughs> like, that that's a very plausible – way for that to happen but I, I I don't know like the inner workings of their relationship I know that Jamal Kinnon said that he doesn't think Adam Gase is a core a, a head coach that can win a Super Bowl and now he has a coach that has won a Super Bowl there you go one more thing on Jamal just on the field you know he does a lot of things you know really well um one it doesn't look like he gets his hands on a lot of passes, not a ton of interceptions um but is there one thing that you're like man he's going to be able to do this really well with Seattle and, and with Pete Carroll. You know, I, I, if you just think about <clears throat> Cam Chancellor, the way that he played in Seattle during those peak years, and it, to me it's, it's really like a better version of that. Now, like you don't have the other guys, Earl and, and, and Sherm, uh, backing them up, but – it's like if you're trying to think of a role for Jamal Adams and Pete Carroll's defense, you've already seen it. We saw 31, you know, hammer tight ends and play slot receivers and, and, you know, be a menace against the run. And Jamal brings the same type of things. And, you know, I, I think, I think Jamal's ball skills, thing kind of get overrated a little bit. Like maybe he doesn't get um, a ton of interceptions. Like I think he only has two since he came into the league, but he's, he's real good in man coverage. That's not a big issue. He just doesn't force interceptions like, or, or he doesn't force takeaways through the air, but you know, he'll, he'll get his chances on the ground. I mean, he, I think he's one of the best, uh, you know, when, the, when he's making a tackle and he needs to strip the ball, I think he's one of the best guys at that in the league. Uh, so there are other ways for him to make, to, uh, to create takeaways and get the ball back to Russ and hopefully help the Seahawks win games because I think it's going to be uh, it, it's just going to be interesting to see how they continue to build this roster once they give him that paycheck which is you know undoubtedly coming since they uh, traded two first round picks for him. You know, last thing, uh, Charles, uh, newest member of the iPhone gang, you know, is, <laughs> is knowing what we know now, what the conversation was and the situation that both teams are in, did did one team win this trade? Is it a win-win? Is there a loser? How, how do you look at it? Um, I kind of think the Jets won just because I, as good as Jamal is, and I, I, I really do think that he's in like that, that Derwin James tier, like best box safety type of guy in the league. Uh, I think the Jets won because if you just remove the dynamics of like their fractured relationship, like you got two first round picks for 
a safety. And like when I think about safeties, I would not trade for two first round picks. Like I think the list kind of starts and ends at like Ed Reed and Earl Thomas. Like it's like that uh, center field type of guy that's just going to completely shut down the deep portion of the field. Like that's the kind of guy that I'd be trading two first round picks for. And Jamal isn't that guy, but I don't think it's a terrible trade for the Seahawks in the sense that like it, I, I kind of like the idea of having so much conviction in a guy, so much conviction in the way that you run things that you're like, we need to get this guy because we can make it work. And I, I just kind of like the boldness of that. But I do think that, you know, if you're just looking at Jamal plus the fourth round pick in relation to the two first round picks plus the third round pick, like I think I would take the Jets Hall in that trade. There you go. The Jets don't win a lot of games, but they win trades. That's uh, yep. that's, 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 that's the good way to go about it. Again, and, uh, and who, know, who knows? Maybe uh, neither team will win a game this year. Ooh, I see what you did there. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe we don't have any. No, we're uh, you gotta be careful, Charles. We don't want sports writers to be the ones like you know rooting for the virus. Oh, you know, I would love to get fired and lose my job, and my health care. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely what all sports writers, you know, the richest of them all, are, are rooting for. <laughs> ridiculous uh, notion out of there. But, uh, guys, y'all listening to Charles McDonough covers the Giants and the Jets for New York Daily News. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at 4Verts. Uh, uh, make sure you check out all of his work, man. Does does great stuff. One of the homies, man. I don't know if we'll be doing any traveling uh, this year, if there will be a season. But if so, I hope to, hope to uh, link up with you at some point, man. Sure, sure. Once again, shout out to the homie Charles, man, for uh, stopping through to talk to us about Jamal Adams. There's a lot of ways to break down this deal, man. I mean, we've been on, oh, yeah, like an hour or so, Chris. Like, we're we, we going. Uh, but we'll close it out now. We want to thank you guys for tuning in. If you got any other thoughts on the Jamal thing, send them to us, man. Uh, if you think they still need clowning after all this, send it to us, too, man. If you still think Chris needs to call the tweet machine so he can get the blue check, and send us that. To, well, just send that to Chris. Don't send that just to, to me. Send that to him. Actually, you know what? Tag me. Never mind. That's fine, too. Uh, you got anything else, Chris? Nah, I want to thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Seahawks Man to Man. We appreciate the love and support. And yeah, just great review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate you guys telling us on Twitter. That's dope as well. All right, other than that, we'll catch you guys later.